Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today we're talking with Raj, who's the founder and CEO of Bloomreach, which is a digital experience platform. Basically, they help companies selling stuff online deliver a customized and delightful experience for their customers. We have a cool conversation about how the e-commerce industry is changing and how customization is the future, something we talk about at Pay Club every day. Before we get into the interview, let me talk about my trip to Alaska last week with my dad and brother. But first, we need to announce the winner of the WSO course, which is, drumroll, Travis Lawrence 27. Congrats, man. Let me know if you don't hear from someone at WSO. Okay, so Alaska. Wow. What an incredible time. I always say I'm not a huge fan of traveling just because of the hassle and the schlepping and because I like my life in LA so much. But damn, every time I go somewhere, I have this incredible time, meet amazing people, and really just come back re-energized and uh, focused on what my goals and purpose are. We did four days of fly fishing, which I thought was going to be a lot, considering I've never done more than one day before this, but it was not, and I could have done even more. But you take these little planes called beavers, you take it out to a different place every day, you land on a river or on a little pond or lake, and then you hike into a winding mountain stream. It's the salmon migration right now, which is the largest transfer of resources from the sea to the land, as something like 60 million salmon just in this area swim from the ocean back to the exact place where they were born to lay their eggs. And while this crazy event is happening, there's bears roaring and standing up on their hind legs all around you, bald eagles swooping down and grabbing fish. It's just like, wow. An experience like this, yes, is ridiculous fun, but also it just puts the world into perspective a bit. Seeing the salmon migration and the rawness of nature, it makes everything seem a bit less important. And yeah, you come back to hundreds of emails and your brain goes right back into reaction mode, but it's different. You have a calmness, a sense of perspective. I had a couple new ideas for Pay Club. The trip allows you to reset, refocus on what's important, and then go forward with more motivation and focus than before. I think you can achieve a similar outcome by just doing something a little different from your normal routine. It doesn't have to be an all-out trip to Alaska, just maybe a hike on Saturday morning or lunch with some new people. Shaking things up allows for that spontaneity and, and randomness that disrupts our current paths and can motivate you onto a new path or just seeing the world from a slightly different angle. Okay, so let's get into the interview with Raj. Hey, Raj, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Alex. It's good to be here. 
Yeah, so uh, you've got a pretty interesting kind of uh, e-commerce company now, and uh, and you've been doing this for for about ten years. But we'll get to that later in the podcast. I want to start off as we always do, uh, early in the career. You know, in college, first job out of college. What? Uh, who was Raj then? Yeah, you know, um, I was um, studying electrical engineering, which um, you know had a strong computer science dimension to it over at Princeton, and and you know had intended to be a an engineer, you know, kind of uh, as the career path of choice, and also studied a bunch of things around economics and public policy just out of interest, and and um, you know had my first job really as a researcher, um, you know, right out of out of college, spent a short amount of time at a lab that really no longer exists called AT&T Bell Labs, where I was working on like, you know, funny story in my first job, I was I was working on uh, trying to improve really basic internet traffic through kind of voice based systems. And my project got canceled because my boss was like, look, I'm not sure this internet thing is going to really amount to anything. I think we should get back to trying to do research on how to have phone calls uh, work well. And so out of that, I, I sort of um, said, I've really got to learn about business uh, a little bit and somehow found my way to Wall Street. And that's kind of how I got I got started in my career. Oh, that's that's interesting. And so uh, the the job in investment banking, that wasn't your first job out of school. That's that's uh, that's cool. So how'd you make that happen? You know, it was it was kind of a random story as well. I mean, definitely there were people on campus that recruited, but also you know, I got to know an individual who, who who's still a good friend and, and was a managing director at, at one of the investment banks, uh, Lazard Frere, and, and got to talk to him and, you know, got offered a job and really didn't know what that meant, moved to New York and had only had a technical background. Um, but it was a, you know, it was an eye opening experience to really understand business and Wall Street and, you know, good, good, boot, good boot camp as a way of kind of getting started in the career. Yeah, Raj, I get what uh, what you were looking for. You know, you said you kind of wanted a some business experience and understand. I mean, everyone wants that investment banking training, right? What do you think? Uh, what do you think they saw in you? Because like it wasn't a traditional hire. Yeah, I think you know, I think what they saw is somebody who was pretty analytical, pretty technical, asked really good questions, and had a, an insatiable curiosity. You know, uh, more than anything else, and. And so, you know, a lot of the kind of types of interviews that they were doing at that time were analytical, you know, type interviews. And, and, um, and those were ones where the technical background and the mathematical background helped, uh, for sure. And so I think, I think that's what they saw at that time. And, and, uh, and hopefully somebody who had decent communication skills, um, just from from life, um, and a bit of hunger. And that, that's pretty much what they were looking for. Cool. So then I assume you did that for a couple of years and got that business acumen that, that you uh, desperately wanted, probably busted your ass to get it. And then, uh, and then what? Yeah. So, you know, um, uh, as I was sort of rounding out my time uh, in investment banking, you know, a lot of my colleagues, a lot of my friends were wanting to really stay on in, in, in the financial services world, right? Whether that was in investment banking or private equity or venture or whatever it might be. And, and I just realized, like, I loved the time I spent learning about business, but I really wanted to get back to technology and get back to companies. And it's not like, it also helped me understand that I didn't want a career on Wall Street pretty quickly. Um, and so I actually applied to business school, intended to go to business school immediately after, had gotten accepted, was planning to go over the summer, 
And then along the way, in my last couple of months in investment banking, I met a group of people who were interested in starting a, a telecommunications business and, and got initially got involved with them just to help them write the business plan and help them you know, think through their idea. But eventually got so fired up about, about the concept that I decided to kind of really start the business with them. And, and so I, you know, at the very last minute, um, turned down the admission to Harvard Business School, which I went to later. Uh, but at that time, I was like, I'm going I'm to give this a shot. And, uh, and so that took me on a whole different path. Uh, interesting. And so how did you, how'd you meet these, these telecom guys? You know, one of them, one of them was, was uh, working at Lazard and he was sort of thinking about doing something on the side and it was one of his colleagues. And so at that time I was in my early twenties and, and these were individuals who were in their mid forties and they were, um, yeah, they were just sort of like, you know, exploring new ideas. Um, and so I, it was kind of accidental, uh, you know, just people around me being introduced to, to others and then getting really into it. And, and, you know, I put, put a lot of time and effort into really understanding the business and, and they, you know, we started to trust each other and, you know, it was an interesting story because um, they were based in New York. I was living in New York. The business called for really starting off in Europe and I had never really even been to Europe and they had families in the U S but I didn't, you know, I was single. And so I just picked up and, and moved to Europe and, uh, and really started the business from scratch uh, at that time. And that, that took me on this whole entrepreneurial journey that, you know, 20 years later, I'm still at it in, in some kind of entrepreneurial capacity. So it turned out to be pretty, pretty fortuitous. Yeah, I mean, it's a cool story, you know, something that you can kind of do early on in your career, just pick up, go to Europe, start all over, uh, you know, before you kind of have all the weight of a, of a life behind you. So uh, that's interesting. So yeah, tell us about that business. And then like, you know, what it what it set you up for, uh, for, for going forward. You know, I think, I think the, um, so the business was, a t- was an internet service provider. So, you, you know, you can think of this as it's, it's hard to imagine this today, but there was a time when there wasn't broadband everywhere and, and where internet was really slow. And so this was a business of, you know, uh, uh, providing high speed internet services in a hundred cities in Europe. Uh, and that's what the business was. And, and it was a crazy business. It involved like laying fiber optic cable in, in the ground and wireless towers and all kinds of stuff. So, you know, it was a crazy ride of like three and a half years uh, of, you know, we raised almost a billion dollars of capital. We uh, built out these networks. We served businesses across Europe with this high-speed broadband access. And uh, we bid for, you know, licenses from governments across a wide range of countries. And it was a it was a fascinating experience. And as time went on, you know, I, I kind of did a little bit of everything. I did product work. I did uh, sales. I did financing. I did business development. I sort of did a little bit of everything. And probably the most important thing it convinced me of was that I could be an entrepreneur um, because I didn't know anything really going into these businesses other than my technical training and, you know, the time in investment banking. But it really gave me a passion for building stuff and uh, it gave me a confidence to feel like I could do it. And that that was probably the most important thing I took away from that business. Yeah, that's super cool. And, you know, in comparing it to a uh, HBS experience, uh, probably pretty similar. I mean, it sounds like you were doing a myriad of different tasks, like you said, and you're traveling through Europe and laying the foundation of a business and raising capital. It's, uh, it's almost like a bypass of business school, but, but, uh, but you didn't, you went, you went back to business school, right? 
I did, yeah. And, and the, you know, one of the reasons I went back to business school is I wanted to come back to the U.S. Uh, you know, after spending a bunch of time in Europe, which was awesome, I was interested in coming back to the U.S. It was also, you know, again, hard to imagine today, but it was 2001 and there was like a significant recession going on. So I knew that I wanted to continue to be an entrepreneur, but I just, you know, let me take two years off. Let me build my network. Let me get back to the U.S. and then I'll do it. You know, and that's that played out really well. So what was really beneficial about having, you know, I think had I gone to business school right after investment banking, I would have been the kid who like really didn't know what he wanted to do. When I got to business school, this you know, three years later, I knew what I wanted to do. So I didn't have to waste time in business school kind of just trying to figure that out. I just wanted to like get the best out of business school from a relationship as well as from a knowledge perspective. And, and that's what I went to business school to go do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I went to business school. There's there's lots of reasons to do it. It can be you want experiences, you want network, you want new knowledge, you want uh, you know your mind opening type type uh, experience. So lots of different things. And so you go to business school, you go to Harvard. It's greatest place ever to go to business school uh, with a with a clear direction of uh, kind of where you want to go coming out of it. And so that's that's great because so much of business school, just like so much of life, is kind of like weeding out what you what you don't want. So you've got to be, you, you come in with a very clear idea of like you want to go start things, be an entrepreneur, which is which is great because like now you can focus in in on that. That's right. Yeah that that was you know there were lots of benefits of that experience, which was a company called First Mark Communications, but that was the number one benefit was, you know, I found a passion and I loved it. And, yeah, and, yeah. and, and that, you know, dictated everything that came afterwards. Yeah. So you're super fortunate to, uh, to have had that experience and you know, like every single experience you have, whether you like it, love it. I mean, it does get you one step closer to, uh, to finding something that, you know, is your true calling, the reason you're, you're put on this earth. So you, you've got it, you've got part of it figured out. It's like startups, starting things, go to business school. And, uh, and then how do you come out? Yeah. So, you know, another interesting story, which was sort of like, I knew I wanted to do something entrepreneurial. I wrote a paper in business school about disruption in the networking industry with, with a pretty famous professor named Clay Christensen. Oh yeah, of course. And that paper kind of got, you know, sent out to a bunch of people at, um, at uh, a, a range of companies, you know, including some fairly senior people at Cisco, which was, uh, you know, still is the leading networking company kind of out there. And so I had intended to come out to Silicon Valley and build a company off of that paper and the thesis that was in that paper. Um, and so I was in the process of doing that. And then I was kind of offered this deal by Cisco to kind of, why don't you roll your little team into Cisco and, and, and more importantly, build this business within Cisco. And that's, that's what ended up happening. And I moved out to the Valley and, and, you know, have been here ever since. And so it's kind of how I got out here. And so what was weird about that was, it was not really like a job interview. It was more like, you know, I want to go pursue this opportunity. I believe in it. And, and what was remarkable, uh, you know, from doing that was I got tons of jobs, number one, because people were like, you know, I don't know if we, he, you know, I don't know if this is a kid who uh, is going to do this, but one way or the other, the fact that he, you know, has a point of view on what, would, what could be an interesting business opportunity, but that sort of speaks more volumes than any interview process. And then number two, then I ended up with this opportunity that actually somebody wanted to, you know, kind of almost fund this business. And so it got folded into kind of a startup opportunity within Cisco uh, that got me out here. Wow, Raj, that's a cool story. I mean, it's, it's a testament to kind of just being a doer, right? And just like having a point of view, who knows whether it's gonna be right or wrong. I mean, 
no one knows. Um, but people like people that have conviction and like are out there writing theses with famous professors or starting podcasts or or whatever it is. Like how, however it's going to be your your angle. It's like it's so important to find that versus just you know sending out cold resumes and be like, hey, I went to I went to HBS. I worked in banking beforehand. I'm I'm smart. I think. I think it'd be good to, to interview me and fine, you go through the regular process versus doing what you did, circumventing the entire thing, like providing all this this value and uh, and really like kind of flipping the whole process, you know, on its head. Yeah. You know, look, I mean, I, if, the, and that is maybe, you said it well, that's probably the best, you know, the biggest piece of advice that I would give to somebody who was, you know, first advice would be find out who you are. But second advice would be, you know, when, once you do, then, um, don't be the person who is at effect of an interview process. Like, yeah, you'll get, you may or may not get a job, but pretty hard to stand out when there's lots of qualified candidates, be the person who shows up. And, you know, if you email any senior executive, if you call them and you say, Hey, I've studied your business and I have a couple of ideas I want to share with you about what I think could be great business opportunities for you or, or great, um, you know, perspectives on where I think you should go. That person's a lot more likely to take that meeting than if some kid emails them and is like, hey, I want I want to network with you for a cup of coffee, which everybody gets. Yep. Yeah, these are all just kind of get your foot in the door strategies. And then once you're there, okay, like that's a hard part. But then it's like, okay, now you get to show them who you are, prove yourself. And and if you know that you can do that, then got to find a creative way to get your foot in the door. Yeah. And, and what it, you know, the cost of it is it's sort of, it's, it's about quality, not quantity, because obviously if I was going to take this approach and, and it's true, I got offered amazing jobs, you know, at salary levels that were probably a lot higher than I would have just interviewing as an MBA candidate, because I was like, you know, this is what I think should be a business opportunity. And in many cases I was pretty wrong, by the way, I had no idea what I was talking about, but I had done a ton of research about the space and about the market and about the product and about the direction. And so that would come through in, in those conversations. And that's, you know, that, that's a lot of work, but at the same time, it creates much higher quality opportunities, I think, than, than the normal process. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's super cool. And, and uh, Raj, if you could tell us like, just, you know, quickly, what, what did this paper say? Like, what was the, what was the core thesis? Yeah, of it? The core thesis of the paper at that time was, you know, Cisco was in the networking business. It was mostly a hardware business. And, you know, fortunately a little bit because of my technical background, I was like, look, I think, I think software is going to disrupt networking. It's not going to be a hardware de- you know, device and we're going to create kind of application oriented networking. Um, and it's going to be about networking between applications and not a networking device that's going to create value. And that's going to disrupt traditional networking players with a, with a software-based approach. So today, that actually is a big industry, software-defined networking. But uh, at that time, you know, now going back 15 years, it was a fairly early idea um, and a pretty provocative idea as well. Um, and so it got, you know, it got attention. Right. Makes sense. Okay, so uh, Cisco hires you in a role that you know would, a, a fresh MBA would would never ever get. They tell you to build a team and, and go kind of ex- explore this opportunity. Um, how'd it go? Yeah, it was you know it was a pretty interesting experience as well. You know, there ultimately was a GM you know who I was put under and who was great, by the way. You know, a really experienced executive. Got to work with him and got to build this team out and run a lot of product and marketing and and you know, go to market and, and shape the direction of, of what we were building. And it was a little bit of a startup within Cisco. And, 
you know, it was, it was awesome uh, for several years for several reasons. One, I got to, it was like the first time I worked at a legitimate company, I would say, you know, I wouldn't consider investment banking representative. So it was the first time I got to work really at a legitimate company in a real job and deliver products and deliver customers and all of those things. And, and then, um, you know, a couple of years later, it also, it started to become a real business and, and scale out within Cisco and, you know, it took a life of its own, got merged into another division. Uh, I got to meet, I got to watch kind of really senior executives at Cisco run the company, which was formative in and of, even if I didn't work closely with them at that time, I got to see what great leadership looks like from John Chambers and a woman named Jayshree Ulal, who today runs a large networking company called Arista. And I got to watch great executives basically. And, um, and, uh, and that, that helped a lot. But of course, you know, ultimately I wanted to go back and start companies. And so I was like, you know, enough time spent at the large company. Let me go make this happen. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of, I mean, I assume it kind of fulfilled your startup bug, but, but probably not fully, but you know, in, in, uh, in, uh, suffice of that, you got to experience, you know, these great executives, which you wouldn't get to do if you were just on your own. That's right. And I got to, you know, I got to come out to the West coast and I got to, understand the entrepreneurial ecosystem. I got to develop more skills and it was all good. Yeah. Yeah. All good. So, okay. The startup bug still eating away. And then, uh, what do you do? Yeah. So, you know, uh, by then, you know, I was sort of ready to kind of start a company and, and I thought, okay, you know, I had, I got a couple of ideas. I'm going to like make them happen. And, and so I quit and, uh, you know, I had my, I, I was also married. I had my first kid around that time. And then, you know, I call that period the two years in the wilderness, which was sort of like I was always a month or two away from being able to start a company. Uh, and it just took a, a ton longer than I expected it to take, not because of, you know, kind of one opportunity, but I probably went through like 10 individual opportunities that for one reason or another did not work out, um, either because the business was not good, the right business, or I didn't end up believing in it or the team was not the right team, or the money wasn't there, or whatever it might be. And then I would do a little bit of consulting to kind of pay the bills during that period of time and poke my head up every once in a while and make sure I could still get a job, but then turn those jobs down and, and keep at it. Um, and, you know, it ended up taking me uh, over two years, ultimately, to start the business that I later started, which was which was Bloomreach. Um, and it's a business that I continue to run today. Yeah. Okay. So we'll get to Bloomreach, but a couple of questions on that on that wilderness period. Uh, I mean, I, I think that's something everyone kind of experiences when they do a startup. Everything is probably ten x harder and takes ten x longer than than they thought at the at the onset. But uh, you know, having a kid, having a, having a wife, starting to have these responsibilities, not just packing a suitcase and moving to Europe now. Um, like, how do you think about quitting Cisco? Like, quitting this company that you've been at for a long time things are going well like do you think about just like staying there and kind of like you know nights and weekends de-risking a couple of these startup ideas or like you're like that just wasn't for you i didn't think that would really work um you know it just it would take a lot of time and effort to make these things successful and, and really like i think you know maybe if somebody had told me how hard it was going to be at the time and i believed it uh, maybe I wouldn't have done it. I don't know. I really thought like I, I was going to quit and I had an idea at that time and I was going to make it happen in like two, three months. And so I, I kind of throughout the two years, it's not like I knew it was going to be two years. It was just kind of each time I thought I was going to be, you know, right there. And it just ended up being a lot harder. 
Right. So what was your what was your north star throughout this process? I mean, you got a family, you got a wife, she's saying go make go make money, support us and you you like poke your head up and do these consulting things and like say, "Okay, like the market still values me. I can still go out and get one of these jobs, but I don't want one. I want to continue pushing forward here." So like what was that? I mean, you know, one it was sort of like really supportive wife and family, you know, um and my wife was working and she was like, you know, we'll be okay, right? Like what do we need? We we don't live large. We're we're going to be okay. We'll be all right. So that was one. Second, just having the confidence. Like I, I, I believe in this philosophy that when you make decisions, you should consider not just like, you know, is it a good decision or not, but like, what's the real cost of being wrong? And, and I didn't think the cost of being wrong was very high because I, I believed, you know, I believed that I went to Harvard business school and I went to Princeton and I got a technical degree and I did all those things, but those were, you know, fundamentally insurance policies. And so that's how I looked at them. I was like, well, I can always cash in on my insurance policy. So what's the real downside? As long as we're okay financially at that time, what's the real downside, you know, of, of it? Uh, and that was the second thing. And the third thing was, you know, yeah, I, I really wanted to be an entrepreneur and I'm not a guy who gives up easily. Um, I have a fair amount of grit and persistence. Um, I, I didn't get into this because I thought it would be cool to be an entrepreneur. I really did want to be an entrepreneur. And I already knew how hard it was to be an entrepreneur because I'd done it once, you know, before. So it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, I'd done it once, you know, in that independent startup. And I'd done it, you know, to some extent, you know, with a whole Cisco escapade as well. So it wasn't like I was looking at it through rose tinted glasses. I just, it just was what I wanted to do and I wasn't going to give up. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the attitude that you have to have. And I like how you looked at uh, kind of these controlled failures. Like you're not betting the entire farm here. And if you lose, you and your wife and baby are going to be homeless. Like you uh, you had an insurance policy and like, let's go swing for the fences here. So that's that makes sense. Um, okay. So Bloom Reach, uh, the company that you have now, you've had for 10 years. Tell us tell us about it. Yeah. So Bloom Reach is, is what we call an experience cloud. And what that means is like you, you know, we use... AI and machine learning and, and kind of large brands across the world build their websites, their apps, uh, their customer interactions on our platform. They optimize it. They personalize it. So, you know, if you're out there and, you know, if you're a luxury shopper at Neiman Marcus and you're visiting their website or if you're, you know, booking flights or booking hotel stays at Hilton or um, or using, you know, certain government, you know, websites and apps, a lot of that, those apps or websites are powered by Bloomreach software, and it uses kind of this AI and machine learning layer to figure out who the customer is and what they're looking for and deliver content and products kind of in real time that are sort of algorithmically optimized for, for uh, you having a better experience on their sites and apps and then making more money in the process. Right. So it sounds like the value proposition, proposition if I can take a take a crack at it here is like there's all these businesses they do what they do best they come to you you know how to engage users on the internet uh through e-commerce better than they do so let them plug into your system and uh and kind of you know use the best of both both worlds that's right they all they you know can't spend you know several hundred billion or several billion dollars on r&d like amazon can but they all you know want to speak to their customers in a in an interesting and unique way they need a technology platform to help make that happen uh, and that's what we do for them. Right. So I go to Hilton, I want to get a hotel room in New York City. And if it were Hilton running the website, it's like they'd show me their inventory and I'd buy it. But you running the website, tell us like the differences. Yeah, the difference is the, the experience should be a ton more engaging. It should be like, hey, I come there, 
you know, I'm thinking about, you know, a kid-friendly vacation and it's going to give me the right content and the right, right offerings that satisfy me, you know, around that. It's going to make the search experience, you know, amazing. It's going to make, it's going to personalize it so that if you're, you know, based in, in the Northeast or you have kids or don't have kids, that you get a different experience based on who you are. Um, and you're just, you know, hopefully in, in the process, more likely to book to stay there. Um, and that's, that's kind of the thesis of, of the company. It's sort of like applying a lot of the AI and machine learning that companies like Netflix and Google and Facebook and others and Amazon have, have had, but then, you know, creating the kind of platform that every business in the world, you know, can use. Yeah, makes uh, makes total sense. You know, personalization is the future of so many industries. You know, I have a fintech business. We say personalization is the future of banking, and and you're saying personalization is the the future of of, of e commerce. But like, that's how it's going to work. You're going to interact with the world. It's going to know exactly who you are, what you want before, maybe close to to when you even even know these things, and it can provide just like just like Netflix, like show on there you like this show you're gonna like that show and like there's recommendations and and that makes buying products interacting with brands much much more delightful than just like here's our i walk into a store here's our inventory like dig through the basket have at it that's right you know and and so the way we think about it is is it's definitely personalization in the sense of like understanding who you are but it's also a lot of nuts and bolts stuff so like you know if you were to go I don't know, to staples.com and use the search box, the search is powered by Blueberry. So it's not just personalization. It's like just finding products, finding finding content. It's also, you know, if you go uh, do banking at, at or buy insurance at Capital One, you know, the actual insurance website is built on Blueberry. Um, so it's, it's a whole variety of different kind of digital use cases, but they're all about like amazing customer experience, you know, when you get on digital. Yeah. So you've been doing this for, for 10 years. You know, how is the business today different from, you know, the business that you were like pitching in the, in the very beginning? And, uh, and then, yeah, where, where are you today in the, in the company's life cycle? You know, it's, it's, been, an, it's been an awesome journey and, and, you know, the business is doing great. Um, but there have been plenty of twists and turns in the road. Like it was sort of, you know, a rocket ship. It definitely hit a wall at some point. And then we had to refactor the business. And now it's doing great again. And so it's, it's, within, it's within the 10 years, I feel like I built a couple of startups. Yeah, I mean, I'm, it's definitely how startups goes. Like things are changing, the market's changing, consumers are changing. You're having problems that you never foresaw. It's like that's what a startup is. It's just like the the world is against you, and you're like just pushing against it. That's right. That's right. You know, I, I believe like you know, startups usually have an overall thesis. They're trying. Good ones have a overall thesis. They're trying to ride, but you know, you're trying to fight a war, but you got to win a hundred little battles between here and there any of which could sink you before you earn the right to fight the war you're looking to fight. <laughs> yeah, that's a good analogy. I, I like it. So, uh, Raj, where does the where does the business go from here? I mean, is it fulfilling all of your startup needs? Are you, you know, getting wildly wealthy off of it? Are you going to take it public? Um, are you going to do something else? Are you going to continue to do this for the rest of your life? Like how do you think about it? You know, that uh, I don't I don't know that I would say I have the grand plan figured out. I, I think it's been an amazing ride. I want to make this business as successful as it can be. And I think it can be a really, really, really big business. I'd have no trouble with saying this is the business that I run for my life uh, until I decide to stop running businesses. Along the way, the company's grown enormously. And, you know, I, I get to uh, not just be an entrepreneur, but also work on being a good CEO uh, of, a, of a global software company. And that's cool. Um, and you know, there certainly could become a moment where it's right for someone else to run the business or it's right for us to sell the business. But for now I'm, you know, I'm at it and, and I'm looking to build it to its maximum potential. 
Well, that's that's awesome, Raj. So I'll get you out of here on this. You know, the listeners to this podcast, lots of hungry, scrappy, enterprising young people. Um, is there anything that they can do that would provide value to you, to your to your business? You know, we talk about not just sitting in a resume, but like actually carving out something in the world. Um, if you were looking to hire someone or or you know mentor someone or something like that, like what would provide value to someone like you? I think I think I would just replay the same feedback that I gave myself, you know, in those times, which is like, you know, if what they were most interested in, whatever that is, if I could, if they were interested in reaching me, for me to help them, either, at a, you know, because of opportunities at Bloomreach, or I'm also, you know, uh, through a through a, an organization, a seed investor, I'm also on the board of a number of nonprofits, so I've got a number of things kind of going on in life, and if they were looking to try to um, reach me, you know, in some fashion, it, it would be demonstrate that initiative and that knowledge, you know, through the process and be creative about how to do it. Yep. Makes sense. Okay. Well, Raj, this was delightful speaking with you. Really, really. Thanks for coming on the podcast. For sure. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for listening today. If you like moving up, the best way you can support us is by telling your friends, just helping us grow and leaving a review on iTunes always helps. Thanks.